Welcome to the JWRP Momentum Talks. Join us now for a journey into Jewish wisdom and inspiration. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. I'm Lori Palatnik, the founding director of the JWRP, and today we're going to talk about discovering the real you. Greater than loving somebody is understanding them. If I tell one of my kids, I love you, but that kid feels I don't get them, I don't understand them, then what I said was actually, it's actually negative because they're thinking, oh, you love who you think I am. If you really knew who I was, maybe you wouldn't love me. But if I tell one of my kids, I love you, and they know I get them, the good, the challenging, the whole gamut, it goes right into their soul. Some people are easier to understand than others. Some people, what you see is what you get. And other people, it's just not that way. We, especially as women and mothers, have a responsibility, an obligation to understand everybody in our realm. Our job as parents, whether you're the mother or the father, is to bring out the potential in your children. You can't bring out somebody's potential unless you know who they are. Also, as spouses, we have a responsibility to help our spouse become great and realize their potential. The number one person you have to help realize their potential is is yourself. It's you. And you can't realize your potential unless you know who you are. The system I'm going to teach you, I learned from our rabbi, Rabbi Noah Weinberg of Blessed Memory. And he taught us, based on wisdom of the Torah, that a person has three main drives within them. Interestingly, Sigmund Freud, in his work, Civilization and Its Discontents, speaks about these three drives. He doesn't give it the Hebrew terms I'm about to teach you, but he speaks about them to a T. But he also says, I see that, again, that people can fall under basically three categories in terms of what their main, uh, their, their, their main drive is, but he sees a conflict within it. He says, I don't understand the conflict. We understand the conflict as being a soul and body conflict because your soul can be one type and your body can be another. Don't worry, I'll explain. All right. The three Hebrew terms you need to know are Chayim, Bracha, and Tov. Chayim, life, Bracha, blessing, Tov, good. Everybody has all three types, both in their soul and in their body. It's very important to remember because I'm going to start describing them and you're going to say, oh, that's me. And then I'm going to go to the next one. You're going to go, oh, no, 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 that's me. And then I'm going to go to the next one. You're going to go, I'm everything. You are, but you're not. You do have all three within you, but there's one that's your default. For your soul, it's where you get the most pleasure. Because sometimes you're like this and sometimes you're like that. But you really get the most pleasure when you're in this zone. For your body, when you're not mindful or thinking, this is where your body will naturally go to. So I'm going to repeat. You have all three in your soul and you have all three in your body. But there's one in your soul that is your default. That's the one where you get the most pleasure. And there's one in your body that's also your default. That's when you're not mindful or thinking. That's where your body naturally goes to. Okay? 
I'm going to go through all three types. First, I'm going to do each one in soul, and then I'm going to do each one in body. Most people, their soul is one type and their body is another. Some people, their soul and body are the same type, but they're manifested differently. And those people are called doubles. And doubles are trouble. That's what my husband says, and he should know because he's a double. All right, are you ready? Okay, here we go. Okay, so first we're gonna do, um, oh, oh, it's very important to remember that these three types, each one corresponds to one of the Avot, one of our forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because each one brought a certain drive into the world, and and um, they 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 encapsulated that drive. Do you understand? Okay. The also it says in Perkei Avot, Ethics of Our Fathers, it says that the world stands on three things: wisdom, Torah, wisdom, Avoda, service and Gimloch Chasadim, which is acts of loving kindness. And you'll see that each one of these types corresponds to that as well. Okay. There are other sources in the Torah for that. Um, but again, the actual application of this, I learned from our rabbi. Okay, so here we go. All three uh, in soul first. So we'll do Chaim first. Now, uh, I'm going to go. I'm going to go through each one. And I'm going to tell you which one of the our forefathers they correspond to. I'm going to tell you the positive aspect of each and the challenging aspect of each, because there's th- there's two sides to every coin. All right. So like our greatest strength can also be our weakness and be our downfall. We have to be cognizant of that. And then uh, and then uh, first I'll do in soul, and then I'll go through the types in body. Got it? Okay, here we go. Okay, so uh, Chaim's soul first. Chaim corresponds to Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Also in Hebrew, it's Yaakov. So Jacob was known as the man of the tent, the learner, the thinker. A person who has a Chaim soul is a person who, whose pleasure happens between their ears. A person who is very, very smart, but out-of-the-box thinking smart. Do you understand when I say that? Okay, they're marching to the beat of a different drummer. I think a lot of artists are Chaim Sauls. They're like, they're just, they're thinking on a different plane. Uh, The absent-minded professor, the inventor. A person who is a Chaim Saul is very smart, but you would, so you would think that they would get good grades in school, but often they don't get good grades. Why? Because they have a very hard time with rules, regulation, structure, and authority. And guess what? We live in a world of rules, regulation, structure, and authority. My husband is the smartest person I know. My husband's brilliant, really. He is, he's off the charts. I always say we have a mixed marriage. He's American and I'm Canadian. We got married. Uh, we met in Israel, we got married. We moved to Toronto. All our children were born in Canada. And then we moved to the United States. So when we moved to the United States, I went down to the U.S. Embassy in downtown Toronto to fill out forms so that my kids could be dual citizens because their father's American. So they gave me all the forms and I had to fill them out and I had to write a check for each form because that's what makes America great. And 
Uh, it was very funny. Like today was Super Bowl Sunday. Yesterday was Super Bowl Sunday and today's Groundhog Day. And I'm like, I posted on my Facebook like, like, wow, great to be an American. I'm glad, glad I studied and passed the test. Like it's great to be an American now. Super Bowl Sunday and Groundhog Day. All right. So, so I filled out the forms and I had to, one of the things I had to, documents I had to show them, uh, the government, was I had to prove that my husband not only was born in the United States, but that he dwelled in the United States. Because it's not enough, apparently, to be born. Like if you're born and, and you're three months old and then your family moves to France and you grow up in France, your children don't automatically get American citizenship just because you were born in the United States. You have to have dwelled there. How do you prove that a person dwelled. So there were many things on the form. And one was you get their high school transcripts. So I rode away to Niles North High School in Skokie, Illinois for my husband's high school transcripts. They send me two envelopes. One has an official seal, which you can't break, and you just send on to the, to the government. The other one has no seal. Why? Because they know you're curious. So I open up the envelope and I read my husband's high school transcripts. I told my husband, don't you ever show these to our children. The guy was flunking out. He, the only thing he passed was driver's ed. It's, I'm telling you, my husband is brilliant. Anybody who knows him from high school that I've met said everybody knew he was the smartest boy in school, but he sat at the back of the class and read Russian novels and never handed in an assignment. Why? Because he knew early on that he was smart. He knew he was smarter than the teacher. But he also saw that this was not about thinking. Unfortunately, and I hope I'm not, I'm not uh, making or insulting or making anybody uncomfortable who's in education, but most teachers and most school systems are not about thinking. They're actually the opposite, especially in the lower grades. It's, it's actually, they tell you not to think. Just do what we say. The teacher writes it on the board. The student writes it in their notebook, you memorize it, you regurgitate it back onto the exam, and you get a good grade. That's not called thinking. For a Chaim soul, their whole pleasure is thinking. And until they get to higher grades in to, in, through the system, which often they can't get through because it's just it's such a turnoff for them. My husband knew early on, this is not about thinking. I'm not going to play the game. I'm turning off. I grew up, no, I just want to please the teacher. I followed the rules and I got a good grade. But my husband is brilliant and I'm just a person who can work the system. Do you understand? So if you have a child who is a Chaim soul and you know they're very smart, you probably have a hard time at parent-teacher night. My kids are all brunettes because of me, but a lot of them are Chaim souls because of my husband. But I have to tell you that they usually are the minority of types. Unless you're Russian. I don't know why, but a lot of Russians are Chaims. But usually they're the odd one out in the family. Unless you're in the Palatnik family or unless you're Russian. So I I don't like parent-teacher night. Why? Because I went to parent-teacher night uh, the other day and I sat down and I said to the teacher, Hi, I'm, I'm Lori Palatnik. I'm so-and-so, one of my child's mother. He goes, Mrs. Palatnik, your daughter has high standards that I'm trying to live up to. I go, I'm sorry. <laughs> my kids are, again, very smart. And they, uh, or they have unbelievable desire to understand knowledge and to think. But so they have a very hard time when they're in a system, especially in the lower grades, which is telling them not to think, just do what we say.
if you protect them and you get them through the system and you get them into into university or college and, and or to grad school, that's when they start thinking because that's when all the professors are Chaims, all right? So, uh, but you, you have to protect them all the way through because the system's trying to kill them. Chaims tend to be introverted, but not always. They are very complicated. What you see is not what you get. There are many, many layers to Chaims. They um, are the least socially adept of all the types. They tend to have few friendships and very deep and meaningful friendships. They tend to relate to other Chaims. When they're in a social situation that they don't want to be in, they walk in and they literally have radar for each other, okay? They're, they're looking for each other. Why don't they want to be in a social situation? Because they tend to be introverts. They'd rather be home reading a book. So they're in a social situation and they're looking for each other. Beep, 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 And they find each other and then they stand in the corner talking about black holes all night or something. There was a couple that we became close with. This uh, woman, her name is Alana, and she used to, she came to my classes. And she was getting very excited about her Judaism, and she wanted her husband to be involved. Her husband, Daniel, was like, no way, Jose, okay? And she, I coached her a little, and she was able to bring Daniel around and, and started to come to our house Friday night for Shabbat dinners, and he started coming to, to, uh, to services on Shabbat morning, and he liked the kiddish, and slowly, and he started learning, and he started getting into it as well. So now they're at home, in terms of the Judaism in their home, and their practice is now going up. Her parents were getting nervous. Why? Because they're classic Jewish parents, like many of our parents, who want their kids to be Jewish, but not too Jewish. Okay? Does that sound familiar? Okay. So her parents were a little bit nervous. And uh, so I said to, and we're becoming a little bit negative to them, giving them negative feedback. So I said to Alana, please invite your parents to my home this Friday night for Shabbat dinner. We're having other guests as well. I said, we'd like you to come. Please please bring your parents and or give me their number and I will invite them. Why? We love negative guests. Our favorite guests are negative guests. Why? Because you could only be better than what they're expecting. When I was a young Rapidson, I remember we first started having guests Friday night. I would be like, I'd be nervous. Why? Because, you know, you're having guests over and often I'd never met them before. You know, my husband's met them, but I've never met them. And, and then I realized, what am I being nervous about? They're going to the rabbi's house. They're freaking out. So my job is to make them feel comfortable. Why do we like negative guests? Because really, they are expecting the worst. They, they're, we're often the first observant Jews they've ever met or talked to or been in their home. And it's the rabbi's house. So they're, think, they're, they're I'm telling you, I, I wish I had a dollar for every time I see somebody out after dinner and they say to me, thank you so much. Um, you, were, you were nothing that I thought you would be. It's a little bit of an awkward moment. Like, what do you say? Like, thank you. Like, it's, like, it's hard to have a response to that. But I know what they mean. They, they are expecting, I'm going to weigh 300 pounds. My husband's going to be speaking Yiddish all night. They're going to have, we'll have a bare bulb with a wire, and we're going to be praying all night long, and I'm going to be translating. And they come in like we're normal, we're funny, like we're regular people. Do you understand? So if the bar is low, they're expecting the worst, you could only be better. But if the bar is high and they're expecting something great, you could fall below the bar. Do you understand? Okay, negative guests, bring them on. 
So she invites her her parents over. So they come in. So I, I you know, welcome them to my home, right? Good Shabbat, Shabbat Shalom. And I say to her father, what do you do? And he says, I'm retired. I said, what did you used to do? He said, I used to work for NASA. I go, come meet my husband. If my husband was a little boy, it's like I handed him a candy store. This is by far my husband's favorite guest. They, they, they were talking about anything. Do you ever read Scientific American? Uh, if you want to fall asleep at night, read Scientific American, okay? Like when I read Scientific American, like, like, there's no people in here. Like, what is this? This is interesting to these people, okay? And they're talking about all these things that my husband was in heaven. Chaim souls also have very unusual taste in music, books, and movies. Because again, they're marching to the beat of a different drummer. I, one time, we were living in Denver, Colorado years ago, and it was just after Shabbat, it was Motzei Shabbat, Saturday night, and I said to my husband, let's rent a movie. Let's rent a movie. My husband doesn't like to watch movies. Why? Not just because he's a rabbi and he's so religious, because he thinks, because he's a Chaim, he thinks most movies are stupid and insulting to his intelligence. And guess what? They are. But every once in a while, I like to watch a stupid movie, okay, just to be entertained. So I said to, to my husband, Yaakov, just go to Blockbuster. Remember Blockbuster? Okay, I said, go to Blockbuster and rent any movie. Yaakov, rent your favorite movie. I don't care what it is. I'll make popcorn. We will watch your favorite movie. I just want to watch a movie with you. He goes, okay, okay. He's doing it to make me happy. Fine. Goes to Blockbuster. He comes back. He goes, this is one of my favorite movies. Great. He puts it in. Now we're watching the movie. Ten minutes into the movie, I turned to my husband and I said, if I would have known this was your favorite movie, I wouldn't have married you. It was a weird movie. It was about death that walks on the beach in black and white with, in Swedish with subtitles. Are you kidding me? It's called The Seventh Seal. My husband, Meg Ryan, was not in this movie, okay? You don't eat popcorn in this movie, okay? This is, it was a weird movie. My husband loved it, and all the kids in my house, <laughs> who are Chaims, love this movie. They march to the beat of a different drummer. Chaims are also very funny. Not slapstick funny, smart funny. Like they, their, 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 their humor is more dry, a little bit cynical, but they see the different side to things and they, and they can be very funny about that, illuminating on a deeper level what is in front of them and what life is all about. But it's not easy being so smart. It's an easier life being a little dim. It's not easy feeling different because usually they're the odd person out in the family. So they feel very different. And they feel that people don't understand them. Why? Because they're hard to understand. But if this is you, or this is your child, or this is your spouse, or maybe this is your employer or employee, you have to work hard and make an effort to understand them and to see the world through their glasses, through their lens, because they really see things different than you. And only another Chaim will understand. That's why they tend to be friends with each other. They don't marry each other. You'll notice as we speak, and you're probably thinking of your boyfriend or people are thinking of their spouse. As we go through, you'll probably realize, oh, the person, my partner, is a very different person, is a different type. Why? Because opposites attract. You are, you are half a soul and you're yearning for completion. 
So, which is a different talk on marriage, which we're not going to get into. But there is a reason why you are different, because you are attracted to the part of you that is missing. And the mistake we make in marriage is that later on in marriage, this is the thing that makes you nuts. Why can't you be more social? Why can't you be more organized? Why can't you be more fill in the blank? Instead of resenting those qualities, you're supposed to embrace them because that's what you need in order to realize your potential. But that's another talk. Got it? Okay. All right. So let me think. Um, did I cover Heimsoul everything? I think I did. Okay. So what's the positive of Heimsoul? We need inventors. Okay. We need thinkers. We need out of the box people. All right. But it's not easy feeling misunderstood. And it's not easy being so smart. And they are complicated. And um, it, it, it's not simple for them. But they're amazing, brilliant. They're geniuses. They're creative geniuses. And we need people like that. But you got to help them get through life. And you got to help them take pleasure in life. Because sometimes they're, they think, they think, they think, they obsess, they think, they think, they're, they overthink things. And they forget to stop and take pleasure. Got it? Okay, so that's Heimsoul. Uh, bracha. Bracha soul. Bracha corresponds to Abraham, right? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. So Abraham, his tent, right? We, we talked about uh, Jacob's uh, was the man of the tent. That means he was the thinker and, and in his tent learning and studying. Whereas Abraham's tent was open on all four sides. That's why we have the chuppah, okay? That we have the four sides open. It's like Abraham's tent. Why was it open on all four sides? He's looking for guests. Come on in, have a lechayim, enjoy, take. Just as a chaim soul tends to be introverted, but not always, a bracha soul tends to be extroverted, but not always. If chayim is really the pleasure of mind, bracha is the pleasure of heart, relationship, connection, people. That's what drives a bracha. Bracha souls tend to be extroverted, positive, happy. A chaim soul, if, if I had this bottle of water, if it was half full, a chaim soul would say it is half empty. A bracha soul would say it's half full. They tend to be optimistic, happy, outgoing. Do you understand? Okay. People love brachas because brachas love people. They're people people. The, the guy in college and the party was always in his, his, his room, okay? And he was friends with everybody. Like, he's, that's bracha, bracha soul. Sounds like a great life, doesn't it? Yeah? Doesn't it sound like great? Happy, people love you. It's, it's a great life. Beware. They're so into harmony. Everybody should just get along. We should have, we just, just let's just have fun. Let's just enjoy. They, they sometimes can, for the sake of peace, compromise important ideas and values. For example, there is, uh, it's interesting that, you know, with the JWRP, like the all the trips we take, and we're bringing women from 17 different countries. So there are certain countries that just are predominantly one type, and certain countries are predominantly another. Obviously, there's millions of people in this country, but like Mexico is like, it's bracha, it's happy, it's party, it's part of their culture. It's like breeds brachas there, okay? Whereas Russia is more chayim, it's like thinking and culture. Do you understand? You, you really see that. They come off the planes like this, all right? So has anybody ever been to Boulder, Colorado? 
Boulder. Have you ever been to Boulder? No. Okay. Been to Boulder, Colorado? No. Okay. Uh, how can I describe Boulder, Colorado to you then? Boulder, Colorado is, um, if you've ever been to Israel, have you been to Israel? Okay. You've been to Sfat? Okay. Sfat is like crunchy granola, like flowy skirt, like kumbaya place. Okay. So, so Boulder is like that, but without the holiness. Okay. Like if you take, take God out of it, that's Boulder. It's kumbaya, your way, my way, let's just all get along kind of place, okay? That's what that's what Boulder is. And it's a very cool place. I lived in Denver for four years. And once uh, once a week, uh, like on Wednesdays, I would drive, it's about a 40-minute drive to Boulder, and I would teach a class there. And it was a class for, um, it was a class for um, uh, women. It was a federation-sponsored class at the JCC. And I was doing a series there. And Really, when you drive to Boulder, there's one point where you come over this sort of this like the, the highway goes up onto a hill and you come down and you see like this incredible, incredible vista of the Rocky Mountains and you just feel God's majesty. It's amazing. It's really so stunning. But there should be a sign outside of Boulder that says, welcome to Boulder where everybody's right, because that's the feeling in Boulder. It's like, a, you know, chilled, cool. All right. So one day I'm teaching this class, and tangentially, I mentioned in passing that a Jew should not go casually into a church. Am I, am I, am I insulting you, Scott? No, fine. Okay, good. You're cool with this? Okay, fine. It's not negative, but just, you know, you'll see how it goes. Okay, I just didn't want to. Okay. Um, a Jew is allowed to go into a mosque because when they say Allah, they mean God, Hashem. Like we're talking about the same being. But when you go into a church and they talk about the Lord, they're talking about JC. So they turned a man into a God. And in Judaism, that's a big no-no, okay? And you're not supposed to casually go into a place that worships such a thing, okay? Why? It's a whole talk unto itself. But this is, again, there are times you are allowed to go, but you should just not casually do something like that. You should really ask somebody if this is the time I'm allowed to go, okay, if it's appropriate. So tangentially, I mentioned this in the class, and a woman puts up her hand, and she's like, um, wait a minute, my nine-year-old daughter sometimes goes to church on Sunday with her non-Jewish friends. There's nothing wrong with that, right? And I said, wrong. And then I said the thing that has never been said in Boulder before or since. I said, everybody's not right. Whoa. It was, you should have seen their faces in Boulder. It was like I told them, Martians landed, okay? It was like the most bizarre thing they've ever heard. Everybody's not right? No, everybody's right. Your way, my way, let's just all get along. I said to them, if everybody's right, nobody's right. Either JC died for our sins or he didn't. Either he's the Messiah or he's not. You can't have it both ways. Somebody's right and somebody's wrong. It doesn't mean whoever's wrong is bad, but it means they're mistaken. You know that people always say like, you know, we should respect what they believe and they should respect what we believe. Well, what if they believe in something that's wrong? Why would you respect it? It doesn't mean you disrespect the person, but the idea or what they believe in, if it's mistaken, why would you respect that? Do you understand? 
So brachas don't want to hear this, okay? No, 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 no. Like, it's like, what if you, like, do you understand? Okay, now people feel, this is an uncomfortable thing to share with people because especially Jews, we are, we tend to be very liberal and very open-minded. And my husband says, don't be so open-minded that your brains fall out. Don't lose your mind. Be a thinker. So brachas, they're just, just, they're just happy, wonderful people, people. We should all get along. And, and if there's any conflict, let's just like put it under the rug. And, and let's just, and that could be a mistake because there are times to stand up and say, everything's not gray. Sometimes it is black and white. Sometimes there is right and wrong. Sometimes there is gray. There's room, whatever, room for you, room for me, room for different ideas. But there are things that sometimes you have to take a stand on. So what's the positive of bracha? Well, first of all, they make great, they make great parents. Why? Because brachas get along with all types. Remember I told you that chimes tend to get along with, with um, very much they get along with uh, um, other chimes. Brachas, they get along with everybody. They're people, people. They, they, they get along with chime, brachas, and toes. If you've noticed, there you have more than one. Or you're you're not alone alone child, right? Like you have four. you have four kids in your family. Okay, fine. <laughs> so you probably are. You probably are very different, right? I'm also one of four, right? We are so different. Okay, there's certain things. There's certain things you have in common because you're from this family. Okay, there's certain expressions. You know, like our family motto. Like my kids are so funny. We have a family motto: never change your story. Okay, that's our family motto. All right. So of course, there's certain things you have in common, and we have inside jokes, but. Like, you see, my kids, same womb, same gene pool. I have five kids. They are so different. So different. From birth. From birth. I used to think that it was 95% nurture and 5% nature. Like, you're given this moldable human being, and I get to mold them. We get to mold them in who we want them to be. Ha, ha, ha. Joke's on us. It's the opposite. It's 95% nature, as in this is the way God made them. And you maybe have 5% to like work it out, okay? Like to channel and to help channel what you already have, the material you, you've been given. So if somebody is a bracha and they are a parent and they have different kids in their, like I have some kids who are chimes, most of them, but then I also have a bracha and no, I have two brachas and I also have one tov, okay? So, so I... I get along with all my kids, mostly. Like the chimes are harder to understand and my husband sort of covers that a little bit. But I, I love all types of people. I have a wide spectrum of friends. I have chaim, brachas, and toes. I could marry d- different types of guys like because that's who brachas are. Brachas just, they get along with people. And so in terms of, um, if, in terms of a job, you would see like they 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 are the ones who get along with everybody in the office. It's like you know, and they're into harmony. And if there's there's conflict, like they, they can they can help make it happen. They tend to be leaders because they can they can sometimes rise to leadership positions because people love them. So they attract people and people will follow them. Do you understand? All right. You see how you can take this and channel it. So remember I told you like <laughs> I have many Shabbat guests and um, again often it's their first time first time I'm meeting them and I want to know what type they are very quickly. Why? Because I want them to feel comfortable in my home and I want to help them on their Jewish journey. So how can I tell, like, just to rewind the Chaim at the Shabbos table? For sure, they have, they connect to my husband. And what aspect of the Friday night Shabbat experience do they love? It's the Devar Torah, the ideas, the philosophy. 
how can I tell bracha at my Shabbat table? By the end of the night, they know more people than I do. Okay, they're glad-handing everybody. They're the ones crying when we're blessing our children, and it's the chicken soup, and it's the songs, and do you understand? All the fuzzy-wuzzies of Shabbat, that's what they love. So if you're going to start somebody on their Jewish journey and recommend a book, you would recommend a very different book for a Chaim than you would recommend for a bracha. The Talmud says, raise a child according to their way, not your way and not the other kid's way. You have to see who is this in front of me and raise them according to their way. Some kids need a harder hand. Some kids need a softer hand. Some kids need more structure. Some kids need more freedom. Some kids need to be in big social situations and belong to all the clubs and teams. And some kids need more alone time. Do you understand? You, gotta, you can't raise your kids across the board. You have to see them as individuals. So what's the, what's the positive of a bracha? Well, it's they, again, they make great parents. They, are, they, are, they make great friends. They're happy people. They're popular people. They're leaders. Like this, this is the kid that the teacher wants in class. They're just like, they're, they're easy schmeasy. Like they're, what you see is what you get. What's the challenge? Be- one is they can compromise ideas, important ideas and values for the sake of harmony. And they can also kind of skirt along on the surface of life. They're so busy having fun, they're missing out on the depth of life, the depth of ideas, and the depth of people. So beware. Okay, we're on to Tov, Tov, in terms of soul. Tov corresponds to Isaac, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. So Isaac, what's the most famous story we know about Isaac, about Yitzchak? So Akedas Yitzchak, which is the binding of Isaac. Uh, where God tells Abraham to take his most beloved son and to sacrifice him on the mountain, okay? If you've ever seen Christian art, and I, when I did that backpacking through Europe thing in my early 20s, did you, did you do anything like that? No. So I, I did my backpacking through Europe thing in my 20s. I went to Italy, and I saw enough Christian art to last me a lifetime. This was a very, and they do, it's all biblical art there, and they, um, this, this depiction of the binding of Isaac is, Many, many artists have have painted um, such a picture. How old does Isaac look in these paintings? Six, seven, eight tops. Like he, he's always depicted as a little boy. And he's struggling and Abraham's tying him down and, 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 and the angels are flying around behind him. For an extra, an extra cookie during snack time, uh, how old was Isaac at the binding of Isaac? In the book, in the book. He was 37. He was 37. So he wasn't some little kid walking up the mountaintop with his father going, gee, dad, where are we going? He was a grown man. He knew what he was about to do. The Medrash in the Oral Torah tells us that he said to his father, tie me tighter so you can get a clean slice. He was willing to die for God. And our rabbi, a blessed memory, always said, when you know what you're willing to die for, now you know what you're willing to live for. He would ask a CEO of a company, would you, would you die for your company? No. But would you give your life for your kids? Of course. Oh, you wouldn't give your life for your company, but you seem to be living for your company. And you die for your kids. Or how much time do you spend with your kids? You would die for the Jewish people? Live for the Jewish people. You would die for the land of Israel? Live for the land of Israel. You give your life for your family, 
You would die for your family? Live for your family. Do you understand? Well, you know what you're willing to die for. Now you know what you're willing to live for. The drive to do the right thing, even if it's hard, even if it's not popular, even if it's painful, that's what drives a tove. Tove means good. Toves see the world black and white. Everything. Everything is either right or wrong. Remember we said brachas live in gray and chimes are lost in their head? Okay. Toves. Everything is right and wrong. Remember we said that Himes have a hard time with rules, regulation, structure, and authority? Toves invented it. Toves have a hard time where there's not rules, regulation, structure, and authority. A Tove wakes up in the morning, puts on Tovey glasses, and they see everything, everything, all day long through that lens. What the weather, the, what they said on the radio, the, the traffic, the, what the, tel- the bank teller said to them, what the, everything, everything is either right, wrong, right, wrong, right, wrong. It sounds exhausting, doesn't it? For a tove, it's oxygen. Toves are the ones that said you stop on the red and you go on the green. We need toves in society. It would be mayhem without them, okay? But it's not easy living with somebody who is so exacting about right and wrong and rules and regulation. There are two types of toves, judgmental and non-judgmental. Most toves are judgmental because if they're right, you're wrong. Toves are very hard on other people and they're especially hard on themselves. Toes are very hard on themselves. But toes are amazing people. They are organized. They are, they make things happen. They are leaders of industry. They are driven. They're loyal. They are competitive. They want to win. They're amazing people unless you grew up and it was your mother or unless it's your boss. Do you understand? Most toves are judgmental. There are non-judgmental toves in the world. They are the minority of toves. If you find one, marry them, adopt them, get them into your life because they're so good, but they're not judging other people if they don't do it exactly that way. Can a judgmental tove cross over and become a non-judgmental tove? Yes, no, mostly no. It's kind of like being an alcoholic. An alcoholic will stand up and they haven't had a drink for 20 years and will say, I'm an alcoholic. A judgmental tove will always be a judgmental tove, but they don't have to drink. They can work on themselves so that it's not manifested and so they don't harm people. Because unfortunately, for a judgmental tove, there's a lot of bodies along the way. They're killing people and they don't even know they're killing them. They think they're being helpful. They think they're being constructive by pointing out every mistake that you make and that you should do it a different way and it would be better and you would be better. And does this sound familiar? Do you have people in your life like this? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. So everybody does because toves run the world. That's what my husband says. Toves run the world. And toves respect toves. They don't marry each other. They'd kill each other. But toves respect toves in terms of friendship, in terms of business, in terms of who they would vote for and who they admire. Toves respect Toves. Toves look at Chaims and Brachas like fluffy, spacey, space cadets. Like, are you kidding me? They don't take them seriously. 
Like they don't understand why they're even in this world. But they need us. Why? Because we lighten it up, okay? We make things more pleasurable. We we expand things. We see things in a different way. We give people space to be who they are. But Toves, they, they just, what are you talking about? What, what kind of space? What kind of option? No, no, no. There's this or there's this. It's clear. So do this. It's clear. How can I tell a woman who's a Tove? I go to her home. And she immediately, of course, offers me something to drink. I take the glass of water. I take a drink. Put it down in the wrong place without a coaster. <laughs> the woman literally has a physical, visceral reaction. Tense. And as soon as I turn around, she puts it in the right place and puts the coaster underneath. A bracha, I would come over. She would hand me a glass of water. I would take a drink. I put it in the wrong place without a coaster. What does it matter as long as I'm happy? A chayim doesn't even see the water. I once had to go away for an extended period of time. My husband's a double chayim. Doubles are trouble. I wrote out the instructions for my husband. Okay, did you ever do this when you go away and all the instructions? Like on the trips, I always tell the women, we could publish the, the, the instructions we left our husbands, okay? Some women on the trip who are toes have so little faith in their husband. They're going away to Israel for eight days. They have so little faith that their husband's going to be able to take care of the kids. Not only they write instructions, they more than one woman told me, they put what each child was going to wear in a Ziploc bag and marked it Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. The guy just had to open up the bag, put it on the kid, open up the bag, put it on the kid. Okay? Tove alert. So one time I had to go away and I wrote out instructions for my husband. I said, read them in front of me in case you have questions. He's like, okay, okay, okay. So he's reading them. He's like, okay, so pick up this and do this and water the plants. He goes, we have plants? We have plants all over the house. He literally doesn't even see them. That's a Chaim. They're in Chaimi land, okay? They're, they're geniuses. They're amazing, okay? But they're, they forget their keys. They lose their car. They, they forget their passwords because they're like the absent-minded professor, Okay. Okay, that's not Toves. Toves are on the ball. Okay, they remember their passwords. They remember their keys. They they can't understand. How could you? How could you lose the car? My husband literally once lost a car. Okay, he literally could not find it. You don't get everything. You don't get somebody. Toves are very deep and very like I'm saying, like very, very complex and very brilliant. You can't get somebody like that, and he's also going to be on top of every detail, okay? So everybody gets what they need. Do you understand? Okay. So when I go to a house of a woman who's a tove, not only are all her spices in one cabinet, they are alphabetized. Tove alert, <laughs> okay? <laughs> this is how a tove lives, and they need that order, and they need that structure. It's very, very important to them, and they are, um, and they're amazing people. But again, it's not easy living with them, being married to their son, uh, being employed by them. This is not easy. But without them, we wouldn't stop on the red and go on the green. It would be chaos. Got it? Okay. So remember, just to remind you, your soul and body are usually uh, different. Some people are doubles. But again, even if you're the same in your body as your soul, it's manifested differently. So hopefully you'll follow. Okay? So let's do Chaim in body. Just as a Chaim soul is a thinking soul, a Chaim body is a thinking body. What do I mean? 
if somebody walked into this room right now, if I was a kind body, I would feel who that person is even before they said a word. A kind body is extremely intuitive, extremely sensitive. They're like walking barometers. If I was a kind body and I asked you, how are you? And you said, looking away, fine. Are you fine? You're not fine, okay? I could tell by the intonation of your voice, by your body language, by your, by, by your energy. You're not fine. That's why kind bodies make very good therapists. How are you doing? Okay. Really, what's going on? You're not okay. Other types would say, how are you? How are you doing? And you go, okay. Oh, good. You're okay. Do you understand? That kind body's picking up like she's not okay. Kind bodies make very good parents. My husband knows that something's up with one of our kids even before they know something's up with one of them. I'm telling you, it's unbelievable. My husband gets people. He, they make very good clergymen. My husband's a rabbi. Why? If you're sitting with my husband and you're, he's counseling you, he's with you. He feels your pain. This is not just a job. On our third date, you know, we dated in religious circles in Israel. By the third date, it's already getting a little serious, okay? Because you're dating for marriage. So on the third date, I said to my husband, you know, I, I met it was a blind date, right? Like the first, you know, the first one was a blind date. So now we're on the third date. So I said to him, you know, maybe I better tell you like what I'm looking for, like what I need. He goes, no, let me tell you what you need. Whoa. <laughs> okay. So I was like, okay. And he said, you need this, this, and this. And it's as if he had gone into my purse and looked at the list. He had my number. I had to marry him. How many people get you? Like really get you for the essence of who you are. Not the role you play, and now I'm the daughter, and now I'm the sister, and now I'm the... No. Who really get you, all of you. He saw what everybody else sees on the surface. Oh, she's outgoing, she's this, she's that. He also saw that I could be more. And he saw what I needed to work on. And he knew what I needed. I had to marry him. Sometimes... I don't like that he gets me. I literally answer the phone. It's, it's my husband. I go, I go, hello. He goes, what's wrong? I just said hello. He can tell by the way I say hello if something's good or something's bad or something's worried or something's wrong. Like, I'm telling you, it's unbelievable by the way I say hello. I have other kids who are high bodies. They, they, they're the same thing. I go, hello. They go, what's wrong? Sometimes I don't want him to know how I'm feeling because I'm mad at him, okay? Or <laughs> like I don't want him to know that. So, but he's he picks it up. Now, it's a gift and a curse. It's a challenge. It's not easy being so aware, especially if you're a girl. When boys have conflict, how do they resolve it? Right? They fight, right? Let's and they get they resolve and then they go back to the game. When girls have conflict, what do they do? They socially and emotionally torture each other. Mean girls. So when a girl is being cut out socially and she's a high body and the kid and the girls are like, you know, cutting her out and moving away from her and we're talking, she knows it. You know the expression, it's an American expression, water off a duck's back. It's a little bit of an older generational ex expression than you. But water off a duck's back, it means like today it would be like, whatever. Okay. It's just like, oh, you just let it wash over you. For a high body, uh-uh, uh-uh. There's no whatever. Everything is something. They soak it in. They're like sponges. 
when we pay a shiva call, right? House of mourning. We walk out. My husband, you could bring him out. Like he's soaked in everybody's emotion and he's done for days. I walk out and say to my husband, that was so sad. You want to go to Starbucks? It's not that I'm, I'm, I'm insensitive. I had the experience, but now I'm moving on. Chaim bodies have a hard time moving on. They take it in. They own it. They have a hard time leaving it at the office or leaving it at that conversation. So in, they're very empathic, which is tremendous because they're fantastic friends. When you're talking to them, like they're, they feel your pain. They're with you. That's why they make good clergymen. That's why they make good therapists. That's why they make good parents. But it's hard to own everybody's pain. It's hard. It's painful. It's, again, an easier life, being a little dim, being a little bit not aware. So it is a gift, and you can use it for tremendous good. But it's not easy, being so sensitive. How can I tell a tov soul at my Shabbat table? They are on time. They, if I told them dinner's at 7, and they arrive 6 minutes to 7 at my house, they're circling the block until it's 7 o'clock. They arrive on time. They have the perfect hostess gift for me, and they're very tense. Why? Because I told you, toes always want to do the right thing. So they know the right thing to do in their world. But now they're at the rabbi's house, and they don't know what the right thing is, and they only want to do the right thing. They're the guests who ask me, do you have, like, milk and meat garbage? They're the guests who ask me, uh, am I allowed to flush the toilet on Shabbat? I go, please do. <laughs> They're, and who else is tense? Their kids. Why? Because their mother read them the riot act before they got there. You we're going to the rabbi's house. Don't you embarrass me. Okay, the kids tell me in the kitchen. Okay? Okay. So <laughs> how can I tell a Chaim body at my Shabbat table? They're the spectator. They're sitting back. You think they're not engaged, but they've got everybody's number. Okay. All right, uh, on to bracha body. Just as a bracha soul is a pleasure soul, a bracha body is a pleasure body. Chilled, hanging out. Bracha bodies love to sleep. Chaim bodies also love to sleep, but not for the pleasure. Chaim bodies sleep for the escape because that's the only time they can turn off all that awareness. Can you imagine being a Chaim body and you're living in a family where there's conflict or you're at the workplace and there's conflict and you're soaking it all in and like you're owning everything? The only time you can turn it off is to go to sleep. So they sleep for the escape. And beware, they can also get into substance abuse because they need something to buffer sometimes between them and all that awareness. A bracha body doesn't, isn't necessarily as aware and sensitive, and they are enjoying life, okay? Bracha bodies sleep for the pleasure. Bracha bodies think about their pillow and blankie all day long. If they woke up in the morning and they saw there's nothing in their schedule to do today, this is the greatest day ever. They would just go back to bed. You give them a hammock, you give them a pillow and a blanket and something to drink, buy a lake, they're good for days, okay? What's the pause of a bracha body? They never get ulcers, okay? They are stopping to smell the roses. They're enjoying life. They get pleasure from this world. And you should. We're supposed to get pleasure from this world. 
They enjoy good food. They enjoy good drink. They enjoy, they just, they're taking it all in. Bracha body. What's the challenge of a bracha body? They are always late. They are never, ever on time. They're not being insensitive or, or, or being, like they're not purposely trying to, to inconvenience you. They've just, they've just chilled. They don't even wear watches. Whatever, a few minutes here, a few minutes there. What does it matter? Enjoy. Do you understand? How can I tell Bracha Badi at my Shabbos table? They're late, okay? They wear comfortable clothes. They're not the people wearing the uncomfortable shoes because they're in fashion or the uncomfortable. Do you understand? They're like comfortable, flowy skirt. Like, enjoy. Bracha Badi. Are you kidding? Even the way they sit. If they're lying on my couch... It's like they're one with the couch. You don't know where the couch ends and they begin. Got it? Okay. Tove. Tove body. Tove bodies are action, accomplishment-oriented bodies. Tove bodies are doers. Remember I told you Chaim bodies sleep for the escape? Bracha bodies sleep for the pleasure? Tove bodies sleep as a necessary evil. Tove bodies fight sleep. Why? Because tov bodies get pleasure accomplishing. And sleep is the denial of accomplishment. What can you do when you're sleeping? Nothing. It's a complete waste of time. If you didn't have to sleep, you could accomplish so much more. I'm a tov body. Time zones were made for me. Why? First of all, I'm a bracha tov. It always goes soul, then body. So I'm a bracha tov. That means I'm a bracha soul and a tov body. So I'm a people person, and I'm also a person who likes to accomplish. Do you understand? So when I, tow bodies, always multitask, okay? If you call me, that's my signal to do something, not just answer the phone. As soon as somebody calls me and I'm going to take the call, okay, which I don't always do, so don't call me, okay? So when I take the call, I immediately am on the call and doing something else because why just do one thing? Like I am folding clothes or I'm making lunches for the kids. Do you understand? I'm always, or I'm organizing something. I literally save things for phone calls. Like, I'm, I'm not going to just organize that pile of books. I'm going to do it when somebody calls me because then I can double tap, right? Okay. All right. So time zones were made for me. Like, I'll be in my kitchen uh, making lunches for my kids or preparing something or preparing Shabbat. And it's late at night. Let's say it's whatever, 10 o'clock local. And I live in the, the Washington, D.C. area, Eastern Standard Time. So I'll be on the phone, of course. While I'm doing it, I'm also talking, got my, you know, my earphones in. And then my, the person, my local friend will go, oh, Lori, I'm tired. I'm going to go to sleep. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Great. So then I call my friends in Denver, right? Because it's two hours behind. Okay. So then a couple hours later, they're like, oh, Lori, I'm going to go to sleep now. So then I call my friends in Seattle, my friend in Seattle, because she's three hours behind. And then when she goes to sleep, I call my friends in Israel because they're waking up. Do you understand? Now, I used to be able to do this on a regular basis. Now that I'm getting older, I need a little bit more sleep, but I don't like to sleep. To me, sleep is a waste of time. I could accomplish so much more. Whereas bracha, body would be like, a waste of time? This is what life is all about, okay? Like like sleep, ooh, cozy, wooshy. Like I can't wait, okay? Sleep is a pleasure. Like, do I really have to get up and go out there? Okay. Are there times I like to chill and hang out and take a nap? Yeah, there are times. Uh, some, usually when I nap, it's just like to take the edge off so I could get back into, into life. But there are some times where you're just like, oh, like this morning, it was cold out. And I just, you know, who wants to really go? Who really wants to go out? So 
Uh, but most of the time, I'm like, I'm out. Like, I, I can't. When I have a day, because I'm a tove body, if a tove body wakes up and they've got a ton of things in their calendar to do, this is a great day. At the end of the day, I feel like, wow, this was a great day. I accomplished so much. Every once in a while, do I want a day where I can just chill and hang out? Yes. But if I did that for more than two or three days, like, I'd go nuts. When I go away on vacation, which doesn't happen very often, because I'm not like a vacation type of person, I like it really. The first day, I, my parents used to have a cottage in northern Ontario. We would go as a family, and I'd go up and go, oh, why don't we come here more often? This is the best. You're lying on the hammock, and you're on the paddle boat, and you're like just chilling, and it's enjoy. Like, first day, this is great. Second day, oh, don't you love this? By the third day, I'm already getting antsy. By the fourth day, I'm like, can we just go early? Can we leave early? Like, like we're, I just can't do it for so long. Where some people would be like, I'm in heaven. Like, do I really have to go back to the rat race or to whatever it is I'm going back to? Do you understand? Okay. All right. Um, how can I tell a Tove body at my Shabbat table? They have ants in their pants, okay? They have a hard time just sitting and chilling. Like, they're the ones helping and they're the ones doing, like, they're the, do you understand? Okay. All right. Let's apply this wisdom. Let's apply this wisdom. Have you figured out what you are yet? I think I'm almost there. You're almost there? I figured out my body. Okay. What's your body? Chaim. Chaim body? Because I saw when I was doing Chaim body, you were like, oh my gosh, like, you like, how you feel like, but you don't know what your soul is? I'm... You're I'm a being, mixture of yeah, everybody mixture, says that. No, 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 no. I, I think I'm veering towards Tov. Tov? So you think you're a Tov Chaim. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's interesting. A Tov Chaim. That's very good. That's interesting. So uh, Tov Chaims make very good salesmen, okay? Because they, Tovs, Tovs, if they're rejected, they're, Brachas and Chaims are very sensitive. Like if they get rejected, like they take their ball and bat and go home and like, you know, people don't like me. And like, okay. Whereas Tovs are like, they're tough. They're stronger. They're the toughest of all the types. You can throw a lot at a tove, and they keep swinging until they hit it out of the out of the park. Do you understand? They'll stay in the game, a tove. So they make very good salesmen. Like they get rejected, they keep going back into the game. But if they're high body, that sensitivity is actually good to their to their advantage because they feel who's in front of them. So they know what to say as fundraisers or as as um, as salesmen in order to to get to get the sale. Do you understand? So there's. You see, each type has its its advantages. So uh, let's apply this to jobs. Now that we're talking about jobs, okay? I'm going to I'm going to describe three job openings, and you're going to tell me based on soul, because that's the essence of who a person is, based on soul, who what type you would hire for that position. You ready? Okay. I'm starting an ad agency, and I'm hiring a receptionist. What type do I want? Bracha! You want a bracha? A happy person, a people person. You can't make a second first impression person. Do you understand? You want a bracha. I am starting a think tank in Washington, D.C. What do I want? Chaim. Of course I want Chaim. Being paid to think? They're in heaven. Are you kidding me? I am I'm hiring a new housekeeper. <laughs> of course you want a tove. Clean the toilet. Good job. Move on to the next one. Okay. You don't want some chatty, chatty social housekeeper. You don't want some dreamy thinking out of the box housekeeper. Tove, right? Get in, do the job. Here's your list. Gone. Good. Check it off. We're on to the next. Do you understand? Okay. I once was, um, 
you know, when I first moved to Washington, D.C. area, I had been in Denver for four years and I was on full force there, like big time. Okay, full force. And if you looked at my daytimer, it would scare the heck out of you. Okay, but that was my life. And I like accomplishing because I'm a tote body. So you understand, like, I'm a bracha. So don't put me in an office without a window. And, like, I, brachas have to be in a people job. Do you understand? Okay. We moved to D.C. I didn't know anybody and nobody knew me. My husband goes off to work. My kids go off to school. And I had nothing to do. And for a bracha tov, you're killing them. Okay? What did I do? Because I have to do something because I'm a tov, right? And I get pleasure accomplishing. What is there always, after unpacking everything, what is there always something to do in a day? When you have five kids, there's always laundry. Okay? So I'm not that happy housekeeper type. But back then, I, it, was an, it became an obsession. My kids would throw a sock on the floor and be like, ah, something to do and grab the sock. Do you understand? To the point where our daughter, who at the time was probably like eight or nine years old, brings home an art project from school. What was the art project? She had to make a picture depicting everybody in the family. So her older sister went to school in Seattle. So she was an airplane. Do you understand? Okay. What was I? I was a laundry basket. Okay. I was a laundry basket. I kept this picture to remember this part of my life. Do you know what most mothers were? What the kids uh, did, drew? A cell phone which is a different talk on parenting. That's not so good, okay? That their mother's a cell phone, okay? So I was a laundry basket, okay? So finally, somebody uh, somebody uh, called me up and said, I made an appointment for you to learn with somebody, right, to, to teach uh, in DC. And her husband is a big political marketing guy, and okay? So I was so excited, and because this was my first learning appointment since I had gotten to, since we moved to the area. And it was going to be Thursday, okay? Thursday, 2 o'clock. So I wrote it in my calendar, and I was like, great. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday night, she calls and cancels. I was so disappointed. I can't believe I did what I'm about to describe to you. I said to her, her name is Jeannie. I go, Jeannie, I'm so disappointed that you canceled. You were my first appointment since I got here. Can we please reschedule? She goes, okay. I said, are you doing this because you want to or you kind of feel sorry for me? She goes, a little bit of both. I go, that's okay. I'll take it. (laughs) Okay. So then I met with Jeannie and I learned with her. And afterwards she goes, Lori, soon you're not going to have any time for me. And I have to tell you, I love Jeannie. Okay. She became the president of my board when I started the JWRP. Like I love, she's a very good friend and I have no time. Because once I started going and once I found my footing, there was no going back. Do you understand? Because I'm a brachatov. So she loved this wisdom that I just shared with you. She loved it. She goes, please come to my home and I'm going to invite some a few couples, friends over, and I want you to teach this wisdom to them. Okay, great. So um, I, I'm over at her house now and she invited like three or four couples. And one couple walked in. Now, I'm not... Uh, I. I'm a brachatov, okay? So I'm not a hind body. But when this couple walked in, this couple walked in, it was like they had radar. Okay, It was like like they were sending out radar. She is, uh, her radar was judgmental tov, okay? And they're both involved in politics. And his was Jaime guy, okay? Like you could just see, like, first of all, because I'm married to a double Jaime. 
um, it was like you could just you uh, I can spot them anywhere. Like there's just a certain energy about them. Like I like you're not a Chaim because I could a uh, Chaim soul. Like I could spot you, um, you know, across the room for sure. So he walked in, Chaimi guy, judgmental tov wife. Okay. So we we sat down, and I gave over the class. And because it was a small group, I went around. I said, "What do you think you are?" Okay, at the end. So one person says, oh, I think I'm a bracha tov. And the other person says, you know, I think I'm, I think I, I'm a chaim bracha, right? And then we get to her and she says, I'm a bracha. And I'm trying to keep a straight face. <laughs> and her husband turns to her and says, you're a tov. She goes, no, but I have a lot of bracha. He goes, you have more tov. Okay. So some people have bracha envy. Okay. It's like they want to be, again, everybody is all three in them. But there's one, again, that is your default, that is your primary drive of who you are. I'm a bracha tov. What am I missing? Chaim. I'm missing Chaim. So what did God send me in a husband? A double Chaim. Our first child, a double Chaim. Our next one, a double Chaim. This is God's joke on me. You're missing Chaim. Here you go. I'm a much deeper person because I married my husband. And he's a much happier person because he married me. Got it? When you know what you are, I always say in my dating workshop, if you know who you are and where you're going, then you know who to go with. So you know, but again, the mistake we make is later on, it's like, why can't you be more organized? Why can't you be more social? Do you understand? Instead of realizing, oh my gosh, like this is what I need. I used to date guys. I don't know what's going on in your relationship right now, but I used to date guys. And I remember like, and because I'm a people person, like I liked everybody, which was hard in dating. It's like, you can't marry everybody. So I remember thinking like, I'd be good for this guy. This, I'd bring him out. I could help him. I'd be great. But my husband was the first guy I ever dated. I thought, oh my gosh, this guy would be so good for me. And I knew I was the best thing ever happened to him. And I remind him of that. <laughs> and he says, yes, I'm the best thing ever. But he's also the best thing ever happened to me. So let's apply this to marriage. The most challenging combination, it doesn't mean it can't work. And I know two couples who have been married literally for decades and are still married today and happily married who are this combination. But they will tell you, uh, we don't understand each other, but somehow they made it work. If you are this combination, it has tremendous opportunity for personal growth. But if you have a choice and you're going into and you have a choice of different relationships, I wouldn't necessarily choose this because it is the most challenging of combinations and marriage is hard enough. What's the most challenging combination? A judgmental tove woman and a guy who is a... No. <laughs> Scott. Chaim. He's so got this, okay? A... a a judgmental tov woman and a guy who's a chayim. Why? It is very, very, very important for a man that his wife respects him. And judgmental tov women have a very hard time respecting dreamy, spacey, out of the box, can't find my car, guys. Do you understand? What's the best type for a, a chayim guy to marry? What type would be best for him? What kind of woman? A bracha. Yes, a bracha. What's the best type for a judgmental tov woman to marry? A bracha. Brachas are in big demand. Okay? You got a kid who's a bracha. You've got a kid who's a bracha. Easy to marry off. Okay? So you notice, if you think about your parents, are your parents married? 
No. Oh, <laughs> so often when you hear this wisdom, you realize, oh, now I know why my parents had a hard time with each other. Or now I know why I have an easy time connecting to that parent, but not that parent. Okay. Or this is why I like that teacher or that subject. Like if you understand this wisdom, you can help your kid choose the right major, right? You can help your kid uh, find, marry the right person, okay? Get into the right job, get into the right field. This explains why your parents got along or they didn't get along. This explains why it's easy with this kid, parenting this kid, but not that kid. This really explains everything. It really does. So even though people do have bracha envy, you have to appreciate that you are that type for a reason. That God gave you, again, you have all three in you. There's sometimes I want to stay home and read a book. And sometimes I, I even get pleasure organizing a closet. But most of the time, I just want to be with my friends. I want to be with people. Do you understand? Because I'm a bracha. It's where you get the most pleasure. And for your body, when you're not thinking or mindful, when I'm not thinking, my body's ready to do something. Like I'm always doing, okay? That's my body's always in action. Always, always. And some people, where they're, they're not thinking, they're like... They're chilling, like they're just getting more relaxed and more like that's who they are. Secular humanism believes you are born a clean slate and the world writes on you. Christianity believes you're born with sin. Judaism believes you're born a rough diamond. And your job in life for yourself and for the people you're responsible for is to polish that diamond and bring out its brilliance, bring out its potential. So every type has its positive side and its downside. Our job is to work on ourselves and to bring out the potential. And if my Chaim is more latent, not only did God bring me a guy who's a double Chaim, I am responsible to work on my Chaim. Don't walk out of this class and somebody says to you, Oh, can you help me like with this box? You don't ask a bracha to do that. This is not to confine you. This is not to to people say like how can you how can you put people in a box like that? Like how can you ha like no, this is not to to restrict you. This is actually to open you up. Oh, this is who I am. Now I know what I need to work on. This is who they are. Now I know how to help them channel their potential. Do you understand? This should help you to put on different glasses and to try to see the world through their eyes. I will always be a brachatov and my husband will always be a double chayim. But again, I'm much deeper and I'm much more of a thinker because I married my husband, because he brought that out in me. And my husband is a much happier person, a much more social person because he married me. But he will always be an introvert and I will always be an extrovert. But now I'm deeper and now he is more social. Do you understand? That's why God brings all these people into your life. Stop pointing fingers and saying, if only they would change and they were like this. No, turn that finger around. God brought this person into my life for a reason. How am I supposed to grow from it? And how am I supposed to learn? And how am I supposed to help them realize their potential? But if I'm not for myself, who am I for? The most important person to work on is you. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the JWRP Momentum Talks. We hope that you have been inspired as you continue on your Jewish journey. Visit us online at jwrp.org 